There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. Here we go. This is episode number 812. And as I said at the end of the last episode, it's back to normal podcasting today, which means that we are back to the usual mix of conversation, culture and humour with bits of vocabulary and general knowledge. I hope you enjoy the episode and learn some things from it too. Obviously, in the last episode, I talked about the crisis in Turkey and Syria following the series of earthquakes that happened there last week. This situation is ongoing and is still very serious, of course. Millions of people are in need of assistance and we all have the option to help out by supporting charities which are trying to bring aid to those people. So please consider supporting those charities. Uh, the Disasters Emergency Committee is an association that you can donate to. That's dec.org.uk. Of course, there may be other charities operating from your countries which you can also consider donating to. Okay, so that's just a thought and a suggestion there following on from what I talked about in episode 811. Right, so back to this episode, number 812. So this episode was recorded a few weeks ago in January. And this one is all about the life in the UK test, which is a multiple choice test that people take as part of the application process for British citizenship. I'm joined by Cara Leopold in this episode. She is a fellow English teacher from the UK. Can she pass the life in the UK test? Can a British person pass this test? And could you pass it too? Even if you're not planning to become a UK citizen, do you know the answers to these questions? Let's test your knowledge of British stuff. So you can see this as a quiz, if you like, and you can see it as a chance to learn some stuff about the UK that you might not know. And of course, watch out for useful vocabulary as it arises. And generally, you can just tune in to the sounds of English as it is spoken. If you're listening to the audio version, then stick around until the end and I'll chat to you a bit more then. I'll have a bit of a ramble, which is often what happens at the end of the audio versions of these episodes. Video versions on YouTube don't usually have those extra bits at the end, by the way. So consider subscribing to the audio podcast for some extra stuff, especially at the beginning and at the ends of episodes. And also because when you listen to the audio version, uh, you can just focus on the voices that you're hearing without having to sit and look at the screen. So you can multitask, you can do other things at the same time, like doing some ironing, right? Ironing your clothes if you bother to iron them. Um, or travelling on a bus or cooking or just lying down in a dark room with your eyes closed if that's what you feel like doing. Okay, so you can do all those things while listening to the audio version. It's up to you, of course, but um, just search for Luke's English Podcast in a podcast app of your choice if you want to subscribe to the audio episodes as well. Right then, 
So I'm now going to stop this introduction so you can now go back in time a little bit and listen to my other introduction as I introduce you to Kara, have a bit of a chat with her and then get started properly with the test. And that's all going to start right now. So here we go. Right now. Now. Here. Now. Right now. Go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Luke's English Podcast. You pressed play and it appears to be working, right? If you can hear my voice and you that's what you wanted to happen, congratulations. Uh, this is it. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, everyone. So, uh, yes, I've got a slightly s- uh, sore throat, listeners. I don't know if you can hear that. You might be thinking, what's what's wrong with Luke's voice? I've got a slightly sore throat. But don't worry, If b- before you send me your messages of concern, don't worry, everything's fine. It's just a little bit of a sore throat. Um, but we'll see if my voice survives uh, the recording of this episode. Um, but um, that's okay, because I won't be doing all the talking today, because I do have a guest joining me, and that is Cara Leopold from leo-listening.com. And we're going to be talking about British citizenship and the British citizenship test, which is difficult to say. I mean, that's that should be in the test, I suppose. Just can you say, question one, can you say British citizenship test? Um, so, uh, Cara is back on the podcast. Uh, hello, Cara. How, how are you? Hi, Luke. Yeah, I'm, well, like I said earlier, I'm slightly terrified because the wind is howling outside and I'm worried something might fall through my Velux window, which is above me, hence that's why my forehead is all shiny because the the light is coming down through the Velux. But apart from that, yeah, I'm fine. Although I am actually quite scared about doing this British citizenship test and saying it, even like you say, even saying it's hard. So God knows, God only knows what the actual test will be like. Mm. Well, we'll see, won't we? I have done some of this kind of stuff before on the podcast, but it sort of never grows old really, because there's quite a lot of different things that you end up talking about with the British citizenship. British. Uh, I always end up becoming Sean Connery when I say that. The British citizenship yeah. test. <laughs> um, but um, so I have done some of this before, but uh, it's nice to be back talking about this subject. But anyway, Cara, this is your, uh, this is, I think your fifth time on the show. Could well be. So yeah. welcome back. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. L- listeners, uh, you might you might remember Cara and me talking in previous episodes, including most recently number 690, in which we compared uh, urban and rural life and life away from the UK. And also other episodes, including the one about the climate crisis and also about learning English with films and TV series. Uh, Cara, your website is leo-listening.com. Just remind us what you do over there on <laughs> yeah, your website. Yeah, what, what do I do? Yeah, um teach listening skills with movies, I guess, is the main thing I'm doing. And then, um, yeah, helping people understand fast-talking native speakers, thanks to to movies, and also helping people listen to each other, connect with each other through movies by discussing them, because I have a movie club, which has started during the pandemic, and that's been fun. We've watched loads of really good movies and discussed them. And yeah, what better thing is there to do with your time than watch films and then talk about them, you know? So yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, if people are interested in 
improving their English with TV series and films, you're a good person to go to because you can kind of help them do it because it's not just as simple as sitting down in front of Netflix. There are certain other things that you can and yeah. should do. Exactly. Uh, and you're the person who can tell them all about that. Indeed. Yeah. Cara, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but you are originally from Scotland. I am. So I got the I got the Cara Leopold question one in the Cara Leopold test. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> and you also lived in England for some years as well. I did, yeah. That's where I was living before I moved to France, yes. So I've lived in But will this help me on the citizenship test? I have lived I'm more British than perhaps other people are because I've lived in Scotland and in England, although I haven't lived in the UK for 15 years. So that's probably a big black mark on my possibilities for doing well on this test. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have to retake the British citizenship test if we want to go oh back. God, could I you mean, imagine? I, I, they wouldn't let me back in. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Yeah, that would be, yeah, like... <laughs> no, we'd never get back in. You know, I can't, I can't vote now, you know, because I've been away for 15... Well, I don't know exactly how it works. I think after 15 years, you can't vote, but I don't know how they, like, calculate it. Like, I guess according to when you started voting abroad kind of thing, if that makes sense. So I think for me, the cutoff might be 2010, even though I moved in 2007. But now, of course, because I have French citizenship, I can vote in France. And I did in 22. I voted loads of times because everything in France is in, you know, you have premier tour, deuxième tour. You have multiple um, tours. What would we call that in English? You have more than one round of voting. Right. Yeah. So I voted in the presidential elections and I voted in the legislative like there was a lot of elections in 2022 and i voted a lot um so just constantly voting in in <laughs> french elections so but uh, so you yeah you live in france like me i mean we did we dealt with this in full detail in the last time we you did. were on the show that i live in paris but you live out in besançon check out my pronunciation i can actually say it correctly now not bad um, well done which is in the east of France. Um, and yeah, so you've been here for 15 years, right? Uh, and you're French now, are you? I am, yeah. They gave me, um, I got French nationality last year, about this time last year, actually. I got the, the little email from them. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, and that was all made official, okay. like in the summer, they gave me some official looking stuff. But yeah, it meant I could vote. So that was kind of good. It doesn't really change much, but... Oh, I got a French passport. Oh, and I got a French ID card. I get all You get all this cool, cool stuff after you become um, French. Yeah. But I mean, you have to like pay for your passport and everything. You get the laminated French ID card. You get a nice you EU do. passport. Mm. Yeah, having the, the EU passport is definitely the, the big... Um, the big draw there for the French nationality. That's, well, that's why I applied. To have what I used to have by being British. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh God, Brexit. Let's not go there. Um, so, okay. But you, so you, uh, as well as being a French citizen now, you're still a British citizen as well because you've got dual citizenship, right? That's the way it works. Correct? Yeah. You don't have to like choose one or the other. Yeah. All right. So you are both a French and British citizen technically. I, I am. Okay, so question for you then, Cara. Do you do you um, feel less British now after having lived away for 15 years and uh, having become French too? Do you feel any less British than you did before? Um, yeah, that's a good question because maybe like you could you could say, well, now she's half and half. 
So, or she's like 200%. She's like 100% of one and 100% of the other. I've been criticised on this show before for, for my maths skills for because of not knowing the difference between x and y axes on a on a graph so maybe i shouldn't start going down mm. the quantifying route um i i don't i don't know actually i don't know it's an interesting question do i fit yeah i mean no i don't think so i don't think so I still feel fairly connected mm-hmm. to britain i mean it's, it's it's only the country next door but i am glad i'm not living there for various reasons, but um, really? and I'm very happy to have an EU passport, even though we said we wouldn't go there uh, down the Brexit route. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I feel kind of the 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 same as before, and um, I'm glad they gave me French nationality. I was worried that they that they wouldn't that I wouldn't pass my little interview, but I did. Um, was it difficult? Was it a difficult process to become French? Um, like just a kind of so the typical. It's the typical kind of French thing where you need to like you you, do, you have to do a, a create a dossier, so there's loads of paperwork to hand in, and that can take a long time to get together. But it's not difficult per se; it's just long. It takes a really long time, and um, like I sent my application off in like the autumn of 2019, and then I didn't even get like an acknowledgement letter until February 2020, and then we all know what happened after that. So. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just long. And then in 2021, I did the, the, the interview. So there's no test per se in France. Like there would be a language test, but that's only if, um, you haven't like completed any, any studies in French. And because I had actually studied at university here, that counts as you passing the language test. Cause they kind of consider, well, if you've studied in France, you probably speak good enough French to you know not have to do the test and then yeah you do this interview you have to go to the prefecture and in some random office and somebody asks you questions about la république and also weird questions weird intrusive questions about like are your neighbors french are your friends french and all this are you a member of any association yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really shocked by those questions. They're like, what are you asking me that for? But they're trying to like figure out how integrated you are into French life. So are they asking you like general knowledge questions about la République? And by the way, listeners, that's the Republic. That's not Larry Public. It's not a guy <laughs> called Larry, Larry Public. <laughs> uh, like, who's Larry Public and why is he so important? No, it's la République. La République. Anyway, um, so they ask you questions about like his- the history of like modern France and stuff, do they? Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, like what are some symbols of the Republic? Like what is a democracy? You know, I mean, I thought the questions were a bit silly. Like, sort of, what is a de- democracy? Like, I mean, but you do have to be prepared to to answer it. And and yeah, they give you like a little booklet to revise from, which has some like key dates in French history. Um. And yeah, and I actually wasn't going to bother revising. And then my partner had a go at me and he was like, you might not pass if you don't don't learn this stuff. So he kind of forced me to um, learn it. And then he sort of tested me on it a bit. But the other types of questions, I had no idea because I hadn't bothered really preparing it or doing much um, research into it because I thought it was a kind of a bit of a formality. I mean, I think it is. Um... But yeah, I wasn't prepared for quite, and like, he, he was like, you should have lied about who your friends are. 
Because, like, I did m- mention that I have, like, foreign friends and I have friends who are, like, American or whatever, but I also have French friends. I mean, I don't really see what difference it makes, you know? Like, um, and yes, my neighbours are, are French, but for lots of people who've just arrived in France, that's not true. Like, if you're a foreigner, you often end up in neighbourhoods where there's a lot of foreigners. Like, and that's not really your fault. So I thought that was a bit discriminatory to be like, you know... Why don't you live in the right the right area of town with all the French people? You know. Plus, if you are if you are sort of coming to France and you don't hold French values, and in fact you're only coming to take sort of advantage mm. of it, and in fact maybe you even sort of hate aspects of France, which is probably what they're trying to filter out. They're probably trying to prevent those people from getting citizenship. But it's a it's a really easy it's really easy test to to cheat on. Yeah, you just lie. Yeah. So, uh, do you have French friends? Um, yeah, good. Okay. Well, that was easy. It's like when you come to the airport and they, they ask you security questions. They're just so easy to get them right. You know, it's just like, um, are you affiliated with any terrorist organizations? Um, <laughs> let me think. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, like, uh, oh, uh, yes. Uh, well there's the, uh, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, no, sorry. Oh, damn. You know, or when you arrive in Australia and they say, or New Zealand and they say, have you, have you uh, been in contact with any controlled or illegal substances in the last two weeks? And you're like, mm, um, um, uh, no, <laughs> not me, no, of course sir. I haven't. You could literally just lie. And also what I didn't like, it's like me and like this one other woman at the prefecture in her office. There's not like a panel of people like, so it could just be like, I don't know, you turn up and she doesn't like your face or something. Um, funnily enough, we were both wearing masks when <laughs> this interview took place. Um, so, you know, that person could just decide, I don't like you. I don't like the look of you and just decide to not give you, I mean, it didn't seem very, um, potentially like not objective. And she was just like making notes. She could have been writing anything. I don't know what she was writing. Like she hadn't got any French friends. Well, I do, I do. But anyway, yeah, I didn't think it was so important. Um, okay. So yeah, you, you probably, if you do want to do it, you should probably prepare a bit better than I did. Um, but your, your wife is French, right? And I think that gives you a lot of brownie points. Yes. Cause I've really integrated. Yeah. You're really integrated. But I was like, my partner is at the end of the interview. I was like, my partner is French. I don't want to live in the UK. I'm not going back to the UK. <laughs> I really insisted. Like, please, please don't send me away. Basically, just throw out loads of lift, loads of French references. A partner's French. Uh, I, I, I like love. Um, uh, Gérard Depardieu. Um, um, uh, I'm more you know, French than the French. Just, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, Serge Gainsbourg. Um, uh, 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 naked people in films. Um, okay, you're in. Yeah, each, <laughs> give her the passport now. She said all the right things. Arguing, arguing in the street, um, little coffees that taste not very nice, um, bread, br- different types of bread. Loads of bread, yeah. I had a croissant this morning before I came to this interview. Does that count? Come with all the, the, the croissant crumbs still on your clothes, <laughs> like literally walk into the test room, brushing off the remnants of the croissant and like wiping it away from your mouth. Bees the woman or man in there when you go kiss them on the cheek like mm. multiple times, then you're definitely going to going to get in. Anyway, let's move our let's turn our attention yes. to the British citizenship test, which you don't need to take, but we're going to do anyway. Uh, as I've said, I have done this with before with Paul Taylor. I'm pretty sure he failed. Oh. 
but and, and in fact, I wonder if most British citizens would actually pass this test, which does raise all sorts of questions about citizenship, mm. questions which we probably won't try to answer here because, frankly, they are rather difficult philosophical discussion points around how we define national identity. I'll, I'll name some of those questions, but I'm not going to try and answer them. For example, what does it mean to be a citizen of a country? Is it just about where you were born? Is it just about where your parents were born? Is it where you live? Is it about the values which you have? Is it about how you integrate with the values of the country where you live now? Is it about the way that you live and the things you do? Is it about the place that you've come from and the reasons you've come to this particular country? Is it about your knowledge of the history of the place where you've moved to? How do we test these things in less than one hour? Uh, there's a lot to it. Anyway, let's see now, listeners, if Cara can do better than Paul. And also, let's see generally what we can learn about British life. And I need to say this as well, uh, OK? Obviously, if Cara gets any questions wrong in this British citizenship test, some people will be shocked and they'll think, how can she not know things about her own country? Ignorance should be punished. She should be banished from the kingdom forever, is what some people might think if they're, if they're having a bad day. So if you are one of those people out there who can't handle it if we get any of these questions wrong, then good luck to you, basically. So uh, let's get started, Cara. So um, I think I'll probably need to do some info about the test first, just to cover some details. Oh yeah, that would be good, because I know zero about this test. So I'm really starting from scratch here. Okay. So um, let's have a little look. What is the test? This is from lifeintheuktests.co.uk. Um, life in the UK. The Life in the UK test is a computer-based multiple-choice test containing 24 questions and is designed to test applicants' knowledge of life in the United Kingdom. It's part of the application process for citizenship in the UK. So as well as doing other things, you know, application forms and so on, you also have to do this test. Uh, everybody in the bracket, the age bracket of 18 to 64, is required to pass this test as part of their citizenship or their indefinite leave to remain application. The pass mark for the test is 75%. Okay, that's the equivalent of 18 out of 24 questions answered Gosh, correctly. Okay. The information is based on the Life in the UK book, which is similar to what you said in France. They have a, a leaflet which contains the, sort of a lot of dates and things. The Life in the UK uh, test is based on a, a whole book, oh, a booklet. So the chapters of the book, these are the things that you might be tested on. Values and principles of uh, the UK. All right. Uh, what is the UK? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, the history, history of the UK from early Britain through the Middle Ages, through the Tudors Jeez. and Stuarts, uh, all the way up until this sort of industrial period of the British Empire, then the 20th, 20th century and modern Britain since sort of 1945. Uh, chapter four of the book, which could be, which could come up in the test, is about Britain today. It's modern the modern makeup of the UK, including its religion, its customs and traditions, sports, arts and culture, leisure, places of interest. And then chapter five is all about the government and how the government works, the law, the British constitution, um, British and international institutions, um, and your role in the community. Okay, I think we're going to get started. Are you ready? 
I am ready. Yeah, I don't really. I still don't really know what to expect exactly, and I can't believe they only ask twenty-four questions, and they're multiple choice. Twenty-four questions, multiple choice. We're going to start the test. Oh, um, I'm going to share my screen with you, okay, uh, so that you can actually see these questions oh, nice at one, the same yeah. time as me. Okay, then. Right. So we are now going to start the test, Cara. Let's do it. Here we go. So the question, question number one, is where is the cenotaph? Located. Where is the cenotaph located? Okay, Do you know I'm what gonna, the cenotaph is? Is is what already? Um, so I'm gonna like have to approach it. For, I feel like we're playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So um, I'm gonna mm. sort of go for a process of elimination. So the options are Dorset, Trafalgar Square, Whitehall, and Wiltshire. So I'm gonna eliminate the first and last ones, and then that leaves me with Trafalgar Square or Whitehall. And just instinctively, I want to say Trafalgar Square, even though I'm not sure. So, that, so just to just to kind of clarify this for those people listening who like probably have got no idea what any of these questions well, are any, about, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, the cenotaph, right? Is where is the cenotaph? And all right, we'll deal with that in a minute. But the options are, as you said, Cara, Dorset, Trafalgar Square, Whitehall, or Wiltshire. So Dorset and Wiltshire are both counties yeah. in England. These are la- the, like sort of large areas in England. Um, Dorset and Wiltshire are both in the sort of west or southwest, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Trafalgar Square and Whitehall are both parts of London. Okay, Whitehall mm. is a road where you find uh, 10 Downing Street is off Whitehall and Trafalgar Square is a famous um, square in, in London with um, the National Gallery and and statues and Nelson's Column and stuff like that. So the Cenotaph, you, you reckon it's in Trafalgar Square or Whitehall, do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm getting worried. I don't even know London that well. Do, do you know, know what, what I mean? it is, like, though? Huh? Is it some kind of monument? It's, it's, yeah, it's some kind of monument. <laughs> do you know what it is? Yeah, I do. I do more or less. More or less, yeah. More or yeah, less. I do. Is this anyway, but it's, I'm not for, being tested because I. Yeah, you're not being. Let me just go with Trafalgar. I want to just go with what my gut instinct was, and that was Trafalgar Square. Who cares if it's wrong? Okay. You're, oh, you're bugger. Wrong. It's in Whitehall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Whitehall. <laughs> so the cenotaph is exactly some kind of monument, um, and it's a monument to uh, people who died in uh, World War Two, World War One. Uh, it's a, it's a, the cenotaph is a war memorial on, on Whitehall in London, okay. designed by Sir Edwin Lutyens, um, in, unveiled in 1920 uh, um, as the King United Kingdom's national memorial to the British and Commonwealth dead of the First World War. Oh, so it's, it's a World War One war, uh, war memorial. War memorial. In, oh, it's quite important. Uh, in the centre of London. <laughs> quite, quite an yeah, important I mean, thing. Like, on, on uh, the 11th of November, you know, uh, Remembrance Day. Oh, they put wreaths um, on The it. king, they put poppy, wreaths of poppies on there, red flowers on there to, as, a, as a mark of commemoration. So there you go. Well, I learned something. Good for me. Okay, here's the next question. Question two. What created the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland? What created the United Kingdom of Great Britain and and Ireland. So the options are the Act of Union, uh, the Act for the Governments, the Great Governments, or the Great Union. Um, yeah, so this requires a bit of historical knowledge. I'm actually going to go with the first one, the Act of Union. 
Mm-hmm. Sounds right to me. It's worth noting as well here that it's it, the question says, what created the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland? So that's not Northern Ireland, that's Ireland. So there was a time when Ireland was part of the United Kingdom. Um, oh, yeah, true. By the yeah. way, listeners, obviously that's not the case anymore. It's just Northern Ireland. So you're saying the Act of Union. I, I don't know. I think it, I think I would choose the Act of Union. We'll see. Yes, you are right. There we go. I've got one right. I'm off the hook now. So <laughs> I guess the Act of Union um, probably happened. I'm thinking of like, there was that king, James I of England and James VI of Scotland. Was he not the one who united us? Was he not behind? Yeah, well, there was the, the Union of, of, of England and Scotland, uh, ah, okay, 1707. So right. Yeah, that's then. But um, there there were various different acts of union that uh, took place. But um, anyway, anyway, uh, you got the question right. Congratulations. Thank 50%. You. You're on 50% now. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Just for your information, uh, this is some text from Wikipedia about the union with Great Britain. In 1800, following the Irish Rebellion of 1798, the Irish and the British parliaments enacted the Acts of Union. The merger created a new political entity called United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, with effect from the 1st of January 1801. So there you go. I bet you're glad you know that now, aren't you? Yes, of course you are. Right, let's carry on. So, question three. Which which flag... Which flag... Are you ready for this one? A which flag has a white cross on a blue background? Oh, it's a difficult one. It's a tricky which one. I might just horribly a... embarrass myself and um, bring shame on my nation <laughs> by deliberately getting it wrong. Blue background, white cross. Which one is it? Good God, what Ireland, could it be? Ireland, Scotland, England or Wales? That sounds like the English flag. No, no. <laughs> no, it's the Scottish. It's the Scottish flag. I am confident about this one. Of course, it's the one. Scottish flag. Yeah. You're absolutely right, of course. Um, the English flag being white with a red cross. The Welsh one is the best because there's a dragon. big red dragon on it. Fierce. Question number four. The UK government hasn't used the power to suspend the Northern Ireland Assembly. The UK government has not used the power to suspend the Northern Ireland Assembly. Is this true or false? I'm, I'm even struggling to understand what that means. Didn't the Northern Ireland Assembly kind of suspend itself? Like, don't they, don't they have various <laughs> just, issues? Just <laughs> <laughs> They've got some issues, that's certainly They've true. They've got some issues, yeah. It's not, it's not easy um, in Northern Ireland. Well, because if they no. suspend themselves, then... Um, or is that a, is that a UK thing? You know, because some you know we have these devolved parliaments, but sometimes the UK or the Westminster government kind of goes, "No, you're not doing that. You can't have your referendum." Or just a bit of commentary, just before we continue, just for the listeners who are wondering about this question as well. So the UK government, obviously, uh, mainly based in Westminster in London, where most of the the big decisions are made, but then. Um, during Tony Blair's government, mainly, there was a lot of devolution, which is basically the transfer of power to local 
um, governments in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, um, and there are there are parliaments in those areas, in those places too, including one in Northern Ireland, which is called the Northern Ireland Assembly. Because the Scottish Parliament is called the Scottish Parliament, but Wales and Northern Ireland they only Correct. have an assembly. Is that not the same thing as a parliament? It's basically the same thing, just different name. I don't know why Scot- the Scottish Parliament and the Northern Ireland Assembly and the Welsh Assembly, I don't know why they've got different names, but essentially they are they're the same thing. I think Scotland's got more power. So the, 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 the government has the right, has the power to suspend, um, I guess, to suspend those parliaments or assemblies. And North- the Northern Irish one is particularly susceptible to this, um, I guess, if things break down in some way. Because obviously uh, the troubles have been, uh, you know, problematic and stuff uh, mm-hmm. between the, uh, the the loyalists and the republicans and their their sort of associated, vaguely associated or less vaguely associated um, political parties, which are which share the Northern Ireland Assembly. So anyway, do, do you think it's ever been necessary for the UK government to essentially? It's- suspend the power of the Northern Ireland Assembly and say, all right, you're not, it's, you know, you're cancelled for a while. We're going to close you for a while while you sort out your your issues. Yeah, see, I was going to say, I just find the statement really confusing, you know, because it's like a negative, you know, it's a negative, it's, yeah. The government hasn't used the power to suspend the Northern Ireland Assembly. Uh, Yeah, it's confusing when there's like a negative involved. Yeah. So I was going to say true, but then like, discussing it with you i almost want to say false because surely there have been instances where this perhaps made political sense but i just i'm just going to go with my first instinct which was true which could be wrong so you think that everything's been fine in northern ireland (laughs) during this time (laughs) (laughs) and the government has gone yeah you just carry on yeah no everything's fine well, let's see. You're going true. It's wrong. Okay. Yeah, that makes no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, since 1997, which is what we just said, mm. uh, we didn't say 1997, but anyway, since 1997, when Tony Blair did come into power, um, some powers have been devolved from the central government to give people in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland more control over matters that directly affect them. There has been a Welsh Assembly and a Scottish Parliament since 1999. There is also a Northern Irish Assembly, Northern Ireland Assembly, although this has been suspended on a few well, occasions. Well, there we go then. Well, I confused myself by saying, hasn't the Northern Ireland Assembly just kind of suspended itself <laughs> like without the Westminster government yeah. intervening? Anyway, okay, well, that's, in- well, that's interesting. Well, that's w- worrying. I don't know. Um, worrying, interesting, however you want to... Uh, a combination. I mean, we don't know exactly why uh, it was no, suspended. We, don't. we and don't. also don't know exactly how it was suspended either. So it might well be possible that the Northern Irish go- government essentially suspended itself by probably like uh, one of the parties refusing to sit in the assembly for some reason. That's yeah, normally the way that that happens because they, they, they just refuse to speak to each other. Mm. Yeah, it's not happy families. Yes, and that that might effectively cause the uh, that might mean that the Northern Ireland Assembly suspends itself, but it's actually the UK government who sort of presses the legal button to make it happen, sort of thing. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. All right. Next question. Oh, another difficult one, Cara. <laughs> question five. When is Christmas Eve? When is Christmas Eve? Would you like the options? 
Yeah, read them out. Go on. Christmas Eve, is it the 24th of December, the 25th of December, the 23rd of December, or the 26th of December? You're very good at reading them out so as not to give away the answer. Because <laughs> um, if, if I was to read it in that way, it would be the 24th of December, <laughs> or the 25th of December, the 23rd of December, or the 26th of December, or that first option again, the 24th of December. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Um, could the last time I checked, the Christmas Eve was on the 24th of December. Yeah, of course. What do we call the 25th? Christmas Day. Christmas Day. What about the 26th? That's Boxing Day. Don't ask me about why that's called. No, no one knows why it's called Boxing Day. Uh, and what about the 23rd? Why do we call it? The, what do we call the 23rd? Well, that's like unofficially known as Christmas Eve's Eve. <laughs> that's right. It's also General Panic Day, isn't it? Of like, ah, I haven't got all my presents. Oh, God, yeah, there's no food in the house. <laughs> Run to the shops. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next. Question six. What is the capital of England? What is the capital of England? The options. Edinburgh, Belfast, Cardiff or London? Tough one. Notice that it asks about the capital of England. Um, hmm. Not the capital of the UK. Basically, what is the capital of the most important of the four countries yeah, all right, in the all UK? Right. <laughs> Scottish people exist. Thank you. Um, so no, I'm joking, of course. <laughs> There <laughs> might it, be a capital of Scotland question. It's random. It's random, you know. It's, it is, they just okay, randomly okay, come in. Yeah, from, so they could, I'm sure, yeah, every, yeah. yeah, you must, they obviously ask about the capitals of the other nations. Um, so it's London. It's London, of course. Yeah. You almost clicked Cardiff. <laughs> Did I? Whoops. Uh, capital of Scotland? Edinburgh. Capital of Wales? Is Cardiff. And, uh, capital of Northern Ireland? Is, is Belfast. So there you go. Belfast. Okay. Oh, question seven. Another history question. Oh, God. Uh, what did the Chartists campaign for? The Chartists. What did the Chartists campaign mm, for? Something to do with charts? No. Like pop charts. <laughs> like charts <What>? and graphs. <laughs> um... Charts. Are, oh, no, we're back to charts and graphs again. X and Y axes. Yeah. Okay. The Chartists. So did they campaign for the right to vote for the working class or the right to vote for women, uh, the right to vote for 18-year-olds or the right to vote for 21-year-olds? I don't know why it says the women. The, the women. Yeah, which women? The, the 21. The, the 21. Oh, dear. It just be women. The grammar mistake in the... Yeah, who wrote this? <laughs> I want a refund. So was it the right to vote for the working class for women... For eighteen-year-olds or twenty-one-year-olds? Okay, um, I could just I could just Google the answer, couldn't I? But I'm not going to cheat. Um, no. I mean, the right to vote for the working class—that looks quite tempting. Um, votes for women—that was a suffragettes. And then, yeah, because the rights to vote—they kind of been handed down piecemeal over the over the years, right? So it maybe started off it was like mm. men, but it was only some men. Uh, men of a certain class, men of a certain age, and then, you know, it eventually gets down to women or whatever. I don't know. I'm going to go for the first one because that just looks plausible to me. Working class people is the correct answer. Yeah. Well done. Well, quick uh, chartists, quick search for char chartism. Chartism was a working class movement for political reform in the United Kingdom 
that erupted like a volcano from 1838 to 1857 and was the strongest in 1839, 1842 and 1848. It took its name from the People's Charter of 1838 and was a national protest movement with particular strongholds of support in Northern Ireland, the East Midlands, the Staffordshire Potteries, the Black Country and the South Wales Valleys. Basically a working class um, um, protest movement uh, in order to campaign for the rights of working class people, including getting them the, the vote. Okay. Good for them. Um, question eight. Yeah, good for them. Question eight. What is not? Uh, here's another negative question. Uh, what, it, <laughs> what is not a fundamental principle of British life? <laughs> Don't laugh. What, <laughs> what is not a fundamental principle of British life? The options. Looking after yourself and your family. I'm confused, but uh, not. What is not? Is that a fundamental principle of British life? Looking after yourself and your family? I would have put going down the pub or something like that. Going down the pub is a fundamental principle, <laughs> but we're, we're deciding which ones are not fundamental principles. So looking after yourself, is that a fundamental? I mean, you know, you know, we're known for drinking too much and eating fairly bad food. So I don't know. Maybe this is not a fundamental it's principle. It's how we show we care. <laughs> Yeah. Here, get those nine pints down your neck. <laughs> it's because I love you. <laughs> yeah, drink more beer. Don't eat properly. There we go. Look after yourself and your family. Um, <laughs> what is not a fundamental principle of British life? Treating others with fairness, hmm. looking after the environment, or driving a car. <laughs> so which one of these things is not a very important principle. According looking after yourself and your what? family, treating like... other people with fairness, looking after the environment or driving a car. Which, one's it, which one is not that important in terms of British principles? Yeah, well, I mean, I want to say driving a car, but I actually think in reality on the ground, a lot of people act as if driving a car is their fundamental birthright. And the best thing about being alive is just being able to sit on a couch on wheels and beep at people and go fast. Mm-hmm. Like Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> he would say, it's driving a car. That's obviously would be his answer, is, right? It is a fundamental principle, others. but we're, we're, we're saying it's not. So just put, just put driving a car, please. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Driving a car is not a fundamental principle of British life. It's not what defines British life. But looking after yourself and your family, obviously very important. Treating other people with fairness is apparently very important. And looking after the environment is another fundamental principle of British life. But I mean, I don't know who decided these things, but yeah. there it is. You got the question right. Yeah. Um, next. Which, the question nine, which <laughs> of these is a famous classical music event in the UK. Oh, there's some good answers. Yeah. Do you want to read out the answers? <laughs> so the answers are um, the proms, tea in the park, cream fields, Glastonbury Festival. Mm. I put a lot of emphasis Which on cream ones? fields, but that's not the answer. Um, <laughs> cream fields is one for all you ravers in the nation. Which one is a famous classical music event? Um, yeah. I know this one. It's the proms. 
Right. And we can talk about the, the others. Yeah, I think we should. So the proms is this famous classical music event in the UK. It happens the last night of the proms happens at the Royal Albert Hall. And it's a big uh, classical music um, extravaganza. Lots of people waving British flags and singing um, Britannia and Britannia rules the waves. It's a bit sort of a bit much, really. Yeah. Um, what about the other events? Tea in the Park, Creamfields, Glastonbury. Tea in the Park? So Tea in the Park, uh, we drove past it one year actually with my partner when we were on holiday in the in Scotland. I actually never understood where it was. So it's in, it hap- so I think Tea in the Park has ended. It's not on anymore, but it was held for a long time um, in Scotland. Is it in Perth, Perthshire, something like that? I actually have a really bad grasp on Scottish geography, even though I'm Scottish. Just as a kid, I just remember getting like bundled into a car and taken on holiday places. And then you fall asleep and you wake up two hours later somewhere else in Scotland. And, you know, you don't really know which direction you went in. Um, so Tea in the Park was a was a kind of like indie music, rock music festival. I never actually went to it. And now apparently it's not on anymore. So, oh, well, Um and then Creamfields is another like contemporary music festival, but this time it's more like dance, techno, house, whatever, that kind of thing. And then Glastonbury is a very famous music festival um, that I went to once um, just before leaving for France. And um, <clears throat> I was actually volunteering, so I got in for free and actually got a really nice campsite with nice showers and nice toilets because the actual toilets are pretty horrific um, at Glastonbury, as they are at many music festivals. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I was at Glastonbury in 2007. That's a very good festival. It's amazing all the stuff there is, not just music, but all the extra stuff. And they only set it up for like four days. And you're just like, why wouldn't you just leave this in the field for like a year? Because there's so much cool stuff. Um, anyway, yeah. they don't. It's they amazing. Don't. It's massive as well, isn't it, Glastonbury? Yeah. Humongous, yeah. Who did you who did you see in in two thousand and seven? Well, I didn't have a ton of time to see different groups because I was like volunteering behind a bar. But um, who did I see? Um, oh God, two thousand seven. I remember hearing Amy Winehouse, and she didn't sound good already in two thousand and seven. Right. Um, and um, I saw. Oh, what's that group? The Killers. I think I saw. Um, God, who was big in 2007? Yeah, I saw a few things. It was actually very hard to get around because, so it had rained. And the problem is like, so it rains and then there's like rivers of mud, right? So the mud is really liquid and you can actually get through it quite easily. And then what happens is the mud starts to dry and you get this kind of mud that's like halfway between like wet and dry. And it is so like physically demanding to walk because you, you're like dragging yourself through the mud and the mud is like pulling you back. And I hardly slept. And then and then just walking around was like really physically demanding. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been to Glastonbury. <clears throat> I don't know if I'd make it the, now. I'd be like, I'm too tired. One, one bad night in a tent and I'd just be like, oh, I just want to go home. Just get I a good hate, night's sleep, please. I hate camping. I hate tents. Um. But, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just too many bad experiences in, in tents. <laughs> yes. Uh, it can be a bit intense, can't it? Uh, the Glastonbury <laughs> yes, Festival. Yes. 
Um, so, uh, history of Glastonbury, uh, 2007, uh, the, the acts that performed there were Bjork, uh, Shirley Bassey, Iggy Pop, CSS, The Go Team, Amy Winehouse, MIA, Kate Nash, Billy Bragg, Corrine Bailey Ray, Damian Marley, Lily Allen, and the Chemical Brothers were some of the acts that performed uh, that year. Mm. I was too busy serving serving beer to have seen all of those, but yeah, very important, <laughs> very important. You were doing a very important job. I was doing a very well. Beer um, and cider. Oh God, the people got angry when we started to run out of cider. Oh yeah. Anyway, story for another time. So yeah, there's basically um, the fuel is just, <laughs> just fuel for the. So question ten. Do you want to read out? Do you want to read out question ten? Uh, yes. Um, who was the first Briton to win the Olympic gold medal in the 10,000 metres? I suppose I should read out the answers, shouldn't I? So we've got Mo Farah, David Weir, Bradley Wiggins and Sir Chris Hoy. So Bradley Wiggins and Sir Chris Hoy do cycling. So there's no, <laughs> as far as I know, there's not a 10,000 metre cycling event. That would be a bit short. <laughs> Maybe unicycling. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, Bradley Wiggins bizarrely won the Tour de France one year and then disappeared. I, yeah, anyway. Um, David Weir, I don't know what he does. Um, Mo Farah, um, I believe is the answer. Yes, I think so. The first Briton to win the Olympic gold medal in the 10,000 metres running... Yeah, it's Mo Farah. I mean, he's kind of like um, a famous uh, uh, Olympic hero in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. There we Mo go. Farah. Yeah, there you go. Let's move on. So, um, question 11. Uh, which of these UK landmarks is in Wales? Which of these UK landmarks is in Wales? The options, Snowdonia, Loch Lomond, the Lake District and the Giant's Causeway. So that Which would, one is in Wales? That would be. I know where all of these are, and I and the answer is Snowdonia. You are absolutely right, Snowdonia, which is an area, a sort of a national park type thing, um, and that's where um, one of the la- highest mountains in the UK is Mount Snowdon. But uh, I've got listeners all over the place uh, listening to this, including people probably who know about the Alps and the Andes and the Ural Mountains and stuff like that. Mount Snowden, let's let's see how high it is. It's probably not very high because no. um, what's the, the highest mountain in the UK is in Scotland. And I don't even think it's as high as the highest peak in the Jura Mountains, which are near me. And the highest peak here is around 1,400 metres, which is not that high, really. Um, so Snowden is 1,085 metres high. Tiny little mountain. I mean, I think that the, I think the room that I, where I record these podcasts is is higher than that because you know the the number of stairs I have to climb to get up here, um, it feels like it is. But yeah, that's it. It's more of a little hill, isn't it? Really, compared to some mountain ranges that well, we know of. Yeah. But yeah, what just about just over one thousand meters high, and the highest mountain in the UK is Ben Nevis in Scotland, one thousand three hundred and forty-five meters. Oh, so cute, aren't Such they? Our tiny, mountains. But but you say that, but like. I think it's got snow in it year round. I've never been up Ben Nevis, but I think it's got snow on it year round. And I think sort of the top of the ascent is a bit tricky because of that. Whereas like in France at that height, you know, your mountain is going to be green for a lot of the year. So um, easier to walk up. Yeah. Because, you know, Ben Nevis being so much sort of further north, 
Yeah. Yeah, it does get snow on the top. Okay, so Snowdonia is the correct answer. Loch Lomond is in... It's near Glasgow. It's Glasgow's favourite. It's where you go in Glasgow to like go to the be- go to the beach. Yes and no, because actually Glasgow is really near some beaches as well. Uh, like it's near the coast as well. But Loch Lomond is a popular spot for like walking, weddings. I've been to weddings up there. Um, cousins have got married up there, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's like a beach if you can call it that, and you can go swim in the loch. And then there's lots of walks around. There's lots of mountains around the loch. Nice place. Yeah. Uh, that's Loch Lomond. Nice place to visit. Uh, the Lake District in England, which is also a nice place to yep. visit. Lots of, uh, Lots of mountains and great places to go walking. Lakes, of course. Uh, the highest mountain in England is in, is in uh, the Lake District. Uh, its name is Scarfell Pike. And it is a total of 978 metres high. Not even a, not even a thousand sweet. metres. You can do it in a day. You can walk up with yeah. your hands in your pockets, can of lager, Cigarette in your mouth, you know, <laughs> yeah. stroll up. Yeah. Uh, and then the Giant's Causeway is an amazing place in Northern Ireland. I've never actually been there. I've never but, been, but um, it looks really cool. Yeah, it does. Moving on. Uh, question 12. Uh, where was Robert Burns from, Cara? Oh, another tricky one for a Scottish person. So this is Scotland's national poet who wrote poems in... Uh, Scots, which is a Scottish dialect, and he wrote poems about mice and haggis. So there's a poem about haggis that you read out on Burns Night. So actually, um, the other day, somebody posted something on LinkedIn about um, St Andrew's Day. So St Andrew is the patron saint of Scotland, and St Andrew's Day, I think, is at the end of November. But honestly, nothing, as far as I know, really happens on St Andrew's Day and kind of the big Scottish night of the year is Burns Night, which is coming up soon. Um, I think it's on the 25th of January. And that is a night where you eat haggis and you read the poetry of Robert Burns and you drink whiskey. And that's like the really, really Scottish celebration, you know. Okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, So the answer is Scotland, of course, you are right. You're doing pretty well. You're halfway through. Okay. And you've got... um, You've got ten out of twelve, so so that is um, that's strong. You're part, you're passing. You're going to be allowed back into Britain. Well, now I'm a, bit, I'm a bit nervous about the next question. So, do you want to read the next question for us? So the question is: Who built the Tower of London? So, very famous landmark across the Thames. So we've got some options. Mm. So they they're all men. Um, we've got Henry mm. the Seventh, Oliver Cromwell. That could be interesting to talk about. Henry the Eighth. Or William the Conqueror? A Frenchman built it? What? <laughs> William the Conqueror, the Norman the Norman invader. Yeah, it's a Viking, um, really. 1066. Yeah, because the, the Normans were kind of a Viking tribe, but they lived in the north of France. You know, French people couldn't care less about William the Conqueror and, and the invasion. They have no clue what all that's about, 1066 and all that. They're just like, what? But for us, that is a hugely significant date, 1066, which is when the Normans invaded England and killed the king. And we had the French, uh, quote unquote, French or Norman royal family for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yep, that shaped our language. So have you got any idea? The Tower of London, listeners, it's a tourist attraction, a castle on the banks of the, on the, on the, on the, um, 
bank of the River Thames there, where the crown jewels are kept. It's got lots of there's lots of stories attached to the Tower of London, that, including stories of torture and and other things. Um, I mean, they all seem it? relatively plausible. I mean, Oliver Cromwell doesn't seem very plausible because Cromwell was. Um, know what his actual title was but there was a brief period so the english cut off the head of a monarch a hundred years before the french and installed a brief republic so people don't know this people are like you love the queen you love the royal family royal family you're subjects you're not citizens you love your royal family hey we chopped off the head of a king back in the day who was also called charles um and um and yeah oliver cromwell then became the whatever his title was head of this re- brief republic but i think he he would have been in charge so briefly he he wouldn't have had time to um build the tower of london and that probably wasn't on his agenda so i think we can rule mm. him out yeah, go on do you want a clue it's medieval it's a medieval castle. Then it may, because Henry VII and Henry VIII, right. so this is like Tudor times, early modern period kind of thing. Well, I, I actually did think it was William the Conqueror. But it's in good shape for having been built. I mean, I'm assuming there's been various iterations over the years. Like, what's standing now is not what was originally built. Yeah, because all the different kings have used it and stuff. You know, uh, it's you know the, the Tudors, you know, famously used it a lot, and uh, Henry VIII. You know, they're, they're, everyone's been proud of it over the years, and, and and so on. So yeah, it's definitely been well maintained. But the the main original basic structure of it was was we're gonna have to hurry in. I know, I know, I know. We're going. I'm I'm just like stalling. Um, I'm gonna say William the Conqueror then. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is the correct answer. Well done. So, uh, yeah, William the Conqueror was was a, a guy, well, not, he didn't make it himself. He's like, sorry, can't. Not right now, building a castle. You know, it wasn't like, uh, William, can you do... No, I'm just still building a castle. You know, um, he didn't do it himself. He would have been exhausted. No, obviously he got some other people to do it, but he, he was in charge when it was done. But yeah, William the Conqueror um, brought lots of French castle building um, know-how uh, mm. with him. And lots of the castles that were built um, in the medieval period were built um, during the reign of... Uh, you know William the Conqueror and, and so on. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely his work. 
Um, Cromwell, you mentioned him, an interesting character. Sort of, we're talking about the 17th century um, here with Cromwell. He was known as the Lord Protector, right, the head uh-huh. of state of the Commonwealth okay. of England, Scotland, and Ireland. I don't think he was a very fun guy. He wasn't. I heard he was pretty, maybe kind of puritanic, very puritanical, and very sort of like you know, no fun, probably no building stuff. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't think he was very nice to the Irish. Okay. To put it mildly. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on, yes. Question number 14. So, question 14 is, when is St. David's Day? When is St. David's Day? You mentioned St. Andrew's Day, which is St. Andrew being the patron saint of Scotland. And you don't really celebrate his day that much. But St. David's Day is another one. So when is St. David's Day? Okay, well, it's not the first answer because the first answer is 30th of November. And that is St. Andrew's Day that nobody in Scotland celebrates, seemingly. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. 17th of March, that is like an international day. That is St. Patrick's Day. Um, 23rd of April. St. Patrick being the patron saint of Ireland. Ireland, yes. Okay. So it can't be that. 17th of March. The 23rd. Mm. So it's, it's either the 23rd of April or the 1st of March. And I think, having thought about it a little bit... <sighs> I think it is the 1st of March, because I think the 23rd of April is St. George's Day, which is the English The patron saint. As if you needed a day. Yeah. Oh, bloody year. It's all about you. (laughs) England, England, England. All day long. Yeah. Scotland, just an afterthought, (laughs) along with (laughs) Wales. Northern Ireland. Those other bits, the little little places. Uh, Yeah. yeah. You're saying the 1st of March. I'm saying the 1st of March. You're right, of course. St. David's Day. St. David being the patron saint of Wales. And it's all about daffodils, isn't it? And leeks, isn't it? Right. I don't know. L- leeks. Is, the leek is their... Is their um, it's a symbol. Is their uh, symbol. I like leeks, but I don't think I'd have them as my national symbol. You like leeks, you just wouldn't want to wear one. No. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you can do that in Wales on the 1st of March. You can wear a leek on your lapel. Oh. You know, to be patriotic and stuff. But also daffodils, I think. Um, daffodils, those beautiful yellow flowers that do come out at the beginning of March. Yeah, around that which time. Which is always yeah. a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. You know, it's like, oh, spring is just around the corner. The daffodils mm. are out. It's really a nice thing to see. So, yeah, it's sort of like, for me, synonymous with daffodils. Um, okay. okay, so you got that one right as well. You're doing okay. Um, okay, question 15. This is one for the French. <laughs> French would love this question. Read it out, please, Cara. Roast beef. Roast beef. Roast beef is a traditional food of which country? This is so silly. I can't believe this is on the test. So we've got England, Northern Ireland, Scotland or Wales. It's a great way to, to, to push the stereotype. Of it, the, it is a little bit. Roast beef. <laughs> well, that would be um, the English because the um, Scottish eat haggis. The Welsh have got their leeks, and God knows what they eat in Northern Ireland. England, yes, roast beef is a, a <laughs> traditional food. I can't food. believe that's a good... Yeah, the French people are like, we told you the roast beef, you always eat the roast beef. That's, my, that's a terrible French accent. What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, question 16. When did the first Christian communities appear in Britain? When did the first Christian communities appear in Britain? The options in the first and second centuries. 
in the 4th and 5th centuries, in the 3rd and 4th centuries, or the 2nd and 3rd centuries? Why do they put them in the weird order? Oh, yeah, that is odd. First and second, fourth and fifth, <laughs> third and fourth, second and third. Just put it in the right order. Just I don't know why they put it in the wrong order. Just to uh, confuse you. Yeah. Well, I guess after the decline of the Roman Empire. I mean, it could be... I don't have a bloody clue. It could be as early as the first and second. I mean, all of these look pretty plausible, right? It's not like they've got like the first and second and then like the 17th and 18th or, you know... Yeah, no... yeah. It's all within the first five hundred years, or or yeah, that's a pretty yeah, that's a pretty yeah, that's a pretty generous um, timeline, isn't it? So basically, right, uh, listeners, um, before the Romans invaded, Britain was it was a sort of a Celtic pagan uh, culture, hmm. just people with their bodies painted in different with body paints and like uh, waving sticks in the air and a lot of hair. And then the Romans came along with all their technology and stuff. And there were several, they had several attempts to invade England. The first attempt, the English, um, you know, uh, I don't know if they were called the English. I I was going to say, weren't we like, we were like Celtic tribes or whatever. Um, Exactly. Uh, Queen Boudica or Boadicea. Mm. They 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 fought against the Romans and and beat them and and burned down the Roman temple and all this stuff. It's very dramatic. Great stuff for great for movies. Great for Hollywood movies. Mm. Um, and um, and then the Romans came back again and they actually did then sort of like um, establish their power and stuff like that. And and that all happened in the first basically essentially the first fifty years uh, after Christ. Okay, that's well that's that's helpful for me, but the Romans did eventually convert to Christianity themselves, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So that they may have brought it with them. They could have brought it with thing. them. A bit like COVID or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> like cough, cough. Oh sorry, but we're spreading Christianity all around. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Oh god well Okay, that does actually help me. Because I, I was like, Romans, that's before Christ. <laughs> but but yeah, there is, the, they, 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 yeah, they did continue. The Romans were still around after Christ. They were yeah. still around, yeah. They didn't, they didn't give up. Um, the, they didn't their civilization sort of didn't collapse. Christ, when, um, yeah, it's well, not when Christ was, was killed on the cross and all the Romans just died, like at the end of some movie, like at the end of <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> Christ died for our sins and poof, all the Romans got. All the Romans fell over. Obliterated. Like when Christ yeah. died. <laughs> um, but, right, we're not going to spend an hour on on on, on these weird ideas. Um, let, let's go for the second and third. I have to pick one, don't second I? Second and third, you're going for. You can reckon it took a couple of hundred years for Christianity to kind of brew and really yeah, sort of like take hold. TikTok. And- Back then, <laughs> took a longer, took longer for trends to to occur. Yeah, uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. Unfortunately, oh, it was the third and fourth it was centuries. Even of course, ye oldie TikTok was even slower to spread. It took them 300, 300 to four hundred years to to establish Christian communities in Britain. Because the probably Christians came in and like, you know, uh, do you bring Christianity? It's like, no, sorry, it's too cold. All right. <laughs> Back home, we go back quick. Go back to the southern Mediterranean. Yeah, we like being pagans. Let me get on with my druid stuff. Um, Yeah, 
That's right. Or Roman, <laughs> weird pagan Roman mixture or whatever they were doing. We don't really know. I'm sure people do know, but I don't yeah, know. Must, must have been quite a lot. Yeah, I'm sure historians have got a fairly good idea. They've got idea, an idea. But, uh, They've got a bit of a grasp yeah. of what they were up to. <laughs> like in Cambridge and Oxford universities, like the historians, you know, we'd just uh, we'd like to t- ask you, professor of, um, you know, of Roman British uh, pagan history um, about when when were the first Christian communities? Well, I don't know, really. We've just got a vague, only a vague idea. Uh, <laughs> next, question 17. Uh, which of the following is part of the UK? Oh, okay. Which of the following is part of the UK, Cara? Okay. Can you read the options? Yeah. So St. Helena, Canada, Wales, or the Channel Islands? So it's the first one's St. Helena. What did I which say? Is an Hel- island Helena. miles away. Yeah, Helena. that's like in the middle of the Atlantic, isn't it? Helena is Helena, yeah, it's in the middle of the Atlantic, blooming miles away. Yeah. That's where it, Napoleon was sent, isn't it? Oh right. Because I was gonna say there is some kind of British connection though with this island. Given that the well, yeah, British we stole it. invaded everywhere. Yeah, unfortunately. Um We kept it, that's the connection. Canada's interesting because the head of state is the British monarch. But is it part of the UK? No, it's not part of the UK. But it is kind of ridiculous that the head of state is like the king. Sorry, Canada. Mm. <laughs> Might want to get your own head of state. No, some of them some of them agree with you, especially in Quebec. Oh yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I'm pretty confident that the Channel Islands is interesting because you, you you might think that they have a weird status, don't they? Um, the Channel Islands. So here we'd be talking about what Guernsey, Jersey, the Sark. Um, I've never mm-hmm. visited these islands, but I've been to Brittany on holiday, and you like if you're in Saint Malo, you see the the ferry coming in from Jersey, and there's lots of you know back and forth. Because those islands yeah, aren't there. islands which are in, yeah, in the in the English Channel, um, as you said exactly. Um, they're actually kind of pretty much quite close to the French coast yeah. rather than the English coast, but they identify more with the UK, I think. But are they part? So those islands are they part of the UK? And uh, listeners, just to remind you, Wales is in the list here. So I yeah. don't know why we're discussing this I don't know quite why we're so much. Just to, just to fill up time, because it's not as if this episode is already, you know, really, really long and we still have a bunch of questions. Long. Wales is part of the UK. Come on. But the, the others, there is some potential for confusion here. I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to trick you. They're trying to trip you up and stop you from getting British nationality. So, so uh, yeah, uh, Wales is obviously the answer, um, but St. Helena and the Channel Islands do have some kind of connection to the UK. We're not entirely sure what it is, because unlike France, where uh, they've got their overseas territories in mm. France, which are considered to be like mainland France, and it's all very clear cut and very, very clearly defined, um, the relationship that the UK has with some of those overseas places like the Channel Islands which is not that far away, and St. Helena and some others, is, is not that, it's not so clearly defined, is it? Kind of um, weird. I won't even mention the, the Malvinas, you know, the Falklands. I'm not even going to mention that. Oops, no. I did. Oops. Um, Too late. 
anyway, yeah, that's a sore point. I don't, you know, not. I've, I have no interest in talking about that really. Uh, and on. Canada, as you said, yes, uh, it's part of the, the Commonwealth. So the, the 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 head of state of Canada is is King Charles, was the Queen. Uh, anyway, Wales is part of the UK because the UK is four countries: England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. Moving on. Um, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, question eighteen, Cara, can read? Can you read this? Which two are British overseas territories? British overseas territories. I think we've just answered our, the questions that we had, Luke, because the options are Ireland. Mm. Sorry, that just made me laugh. Uh, Hawaii. That's also a funny one. St. Helena and the Falkland Islands. So um, I'm pretty confident that, oh, St. God. that St. Helena and the Falkland Islands must have the their status, it's not part of the UK, but they are considered British overseas territories. Now, what that actually means, I don't really know, but that's their status. So I've just Googled uh, British overseas territories and I'm right. on the Wikipedia page for it. So the British overseas... Now, you've you've chosen your options. It's yeah, St. Helena yeah, in the Falkland Islands. And you're right, of course. I mean, Hawaii... <laughs> Hawaii is a, is a state of the United States of America. There's no way that, that is a British overseas territory. And Ireland also not in any shape or form. It's completely independent from the UK uh, and, a, you know, a EU member state and so on. Mm. But uh, the British overseas territories, also known as the United Kingdom overseas territories, are 14 territories right. with a constitutional and historical link with the United Kingdom. They are the, the last remnants of the four former British Empire and do not form part of the United Kingdom itself. The permanently inhabited territories are internally self-governing, with the United Kingdom retaining responsibility for defence and foreign relations. Three of the territories are inhabited, chiefly or only, by a transitory population of military or scientific personnel. Hmm. But... All but one of the rest are listed by the UN Special Committee on Decolonization as non-self-governing territories. All 14 have the British monarch as head of state. These UK governments... Uh, these UK government responsibilities are assigned to various departments of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and are subject to change. So that's why people are not so sure about these things, because it's bloody confusing. Yeah. Um, we could go into the current overseas territories include Anguilla in the Caribbean, Bermuda, British Antarctic Territory. That's probably a section of the Antarctic. British Indian Ocean Territory. That's, I guess, part of the Indian Ocean. Does it include some islands? British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, the Falkland Islands, Gibraltar, of course, Montserrat in the Caribbean, uh, Pitcairn, Henderson, Ducey, Ueno Islands in the Pacific Ocean, St. Helena, uh, Ascension and Tristan and Tristan de Cunha. Oh, my God. Okay. In the South Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Uh, ba -ba -ba, South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, <laughs> where they love sandwiches. And sovereign base areas of Akrit, other places. Oh, Cyprus. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's all a bit tricky and a bit complicated. Some, and of, the, so they, I mean, and some of these are sure tax even havens. Now, mm. <laughs> so like the Cayman Islands is a tax haven. So if we're hanging on to that, well, that's because <laughs> of rich people. Um, Very yeah, suspicious some of them and slightly dodgy. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have all these dodgy things we're still holding on to that we probably should have handed back to someone. Anyway, uh, let's not create another <sighs> diplomatic spat. Um, I actually, I used no. to know a guy from Bermuda no. in Besançon, a, a guy, and he talked like a British guy. You know, he sounded like he was from Britain, but he was actually from Bermuda. So that makes sense, given the status of Bermuda. He used to run a yeah. bar in Besançon. Don't know how he ended up here. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I've never met someone from Bermuda, which is very mysterious. Why? Where are they? Oh, they're in Bermuda. That's why. I've never been there. But we know all about their shorts. That's right. Bermuda shorts. Bermuda shorts, shorts and oh. the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> very popular. <laughs> right. Anyway. Yep. Right. Moving on. We've got to get through this. Okay, you can see this is out of date, this version of the test that I've got here. Because question 19 says, who is Queen Elizabeth II married to? Should be who was Queen Elizabeth II married to. These are, by the way, the... And the options the are very funny. That I'm using, the test that I'm using here is these are sample tests or practice tests from uh, a website that, you know, that gives you free practice for this. So who is or who was Queen Elizabeth II married to? Was it Prince Harry, Prince William, Prince Charles or Prince Philip? <laughs> was she married to one of her grandsons? <laughs> was she married to her son or was she married to her husband? Which one? Now we know we know there are some controversies in the in the royal family. Mm. Um controversies. Controversies, controversies. Word stress wrong here. Yeah, they can be a controversial family at times, but the Queen was never married to her son or grandsons. That's the least we can say. Um, she was married to Prince Philip, Philip the Greek. Yep. Bingo. Well done. Another question in the bag. Question 20. What palace? What palace was a cast iron and plate glass building originally erected in Hyde Park, London, England, to house the Great Exhibition of 1851? So what palace was made of iron and plate glass? So a building that looked like a big greenhouse because it had large, large glass plates and cast iron uh, framework. Uh, what palace was made of iron and glass uh, originally uh, erected in Hyde Park in London to house the Great Exhibition of 1851. Um, the options, is it the Great Palace? Is it the Gold Palace? Is it the Dream Palace? Or is it Crystal Palace? So I think it must be Crystal Palace. And it's funny, we were watching um, the, like... Um, UK football, England Premiership. England the Premiership. Football. What's it called? The Premiership. <laughs> and there was like Arsenal against Tottenham. And I was thinking about other clubs in London. And I thought about Crystal Palace. So there is a football club called Crystal Palace. I was like, why is it called Crystal Palace? Um, but I guess their ground must be near uh, Crystal the Palace. Crystal Palace. Which is an actual Yeah, thing. it does sound like something yeah. from a... So Chris, I'm saying Crystal Palace. You're saying Palace. Crystal Palace. It's the right answer, Cara. It is Crystal Palace. So that palace that was uh, erected for the Great Exhibition of 1851 in Hyde Park, they moved it to the south of London and that area is now called Crystal Palace. And there's, it's got a football club and a park uh, and a big Crystal Palace thing. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Crystal, or a giant greenhouse, as you said. <laughs> a giant greenhouse, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, where you can grow tomatoes and stuff. I don't think they do grow tomatoes there. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked, to be honest. Maybe they do. Crystal Palace. Tomato. Get all your tomatoes. Three for a pound. 
It's expensive. <laughs> what am I talking about? Number 21. Which two British film actors, you can see again how old this is, which two British yep. film actors have recently won Oscars? Is it Colin Firth, Jackie Stewart, Tilda Swinton, or Leonardo DiCaprio, that famous <laughs> British film actor? So Colin Firth, Jackie Stewart, Tilda Swinton, or Leonardo DiCaprio, which two have won Oscars recently? I'm, I'm going to go with um, Colin Firth and Tilda Swinton. Yeah, absolutely. Bang, right. Jackie Stewart, he's a blooming Formula One Racing race, driver. Race car driver, yeah. And Leonardo DiCaprio is very American. So, yeah, you're you're right. Colin Firth, I think he won it for... Uh, Maybe the King's Speech? The King's Speech. The King's Peach. Not the King's Peach. The King's Speech. Uh, and Tilda Swinton for... We need to talk about Kevin, is it? Oh, really? I feel like she could win an Oscar for every film she's in. She's always yeah, brilliant. She and is she's great. Ah, uh, yeah. Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton Oscar. She doesn't sound very Scottish, but... Uh, Michael Clayton. She got an Academy Award for her performance in Michael Clayton. Uh, okay. Which is the name of a film, not just the name of a person. Um, <laughs> sounds like it's just the name of a, a dude. She got an Oscar for her performance in Michael Clayton. It's like, what did she do to Michael Clayton that she, she, did, she did it so well? Michael Clayton was so satisfied that they gave her an Oscar for, because of her performance in Michael Clayton. <laughs> uh, oh, it's a film. Ah, right. Next, question 22. Uh, which flower is associated with England, Cara? What are what are the what are the options? I'll I'll read them then. So, <clears throat> thistle, shamrock, daffodil, or rose. So um, we talked about daffodils earlier, yeah. and not only are they a symbol of not only are they a symbol of spring, but also a symbol of Wales. Um, the shamrock is Irish. Well, like associated with Ireland, obviously. Yeah. Um, the thistle is the Scottish flower, prickly flower. You don't want to sit on a thistle. You'll get a sore bum. And um, mm. the rose is the flower of associated with England. Yeah. Um, and probably other places in the world, because it's not the only place that has roses. Yeah, I don't think we can claim exclusive rights to the rose, can we? We can those British overseas territories, but not the rose. <laughs> we are, uh, yeah, we're the only rugby team with a rose on our on our shirt. Uh, mm. The Japanese, the Japanese rugby team have got a flower on theirs as well. It's a cherry blossom, very pretty. Oh, um, that's that's nice. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. So rose, uh, England, daffodil, uh, Wales, shamrock, clover, which we all know from the Irish pubs that are everywhere. And yeah, uh, I actually have, um, I actually have a four, this is a four leaf clover in a bit of perspex. And this is actually a present that one of my friends made for me before I moved to France to bring me luck. That's, and that's nice. a four leaf clover that he, he found when he was a little kid and they're quite rare. So wow. I appreciate that. That's lovely. Yeah. Cause it's extremely rare to find a four leaf clover and as yeah, it's supposed to be very good luck to find one. 
Yeah. That's nice. That's very nice. Uh, And the thistle, uh, yeah, is the Scottish one, very spiky and thorny. Um, Okay, so so Rose. Rose is the answer, of course. Right, the penultimate question. There we go. So the question is, who appoints life peers? And my listeners are going, okay, I know the word who, but I didn't get the other words. What? Who? What? 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 (laughs) Who appoints life peers? Can, do you want to have a go at explaining the question? Yeah, so we have to talk about that most undemocratic of institutions. We don't really know why it still exists. So, mm-hmm. like, I guess, like, a lot of countries, their parliament has, like, two... Oh, God, I'm not very good Chamb- with sort of chambers, governance and politics. Chambers. But, like, a lot, yeah, a lot of countries have, like, two chambers, don't, see, don't they? So the US has, like, Congress and then a Senate. In France, there's also two chambers. Um it's quite a common thing. So in the UK, you have like, par- well, here I'm talking about Westminster. Um, London. House of Commons and the, ha- the, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Yeah. Yeah. So the House of Commons is like your standard. That's your MPs, your members of parliament. So you, we vote for them. We vote them into um, parliament, don't we? When it's the general election, we don't vote for a, a president or whatever. We vote for, you know. Your representative individual individual parliament. representatives of each constitution who then take a seat in the House of Commons and the ones who've got the most seats have the right to form a government. That's kind of the way it they, works. They govern, and the yeah. leader of that government becomes the prime minister. But we don't actually vote for a a president. Or no, something we don't there. vote for them directly. So, so that's the House um, of and Commons. And our head of state is the. Yeah, it's the House of Commons, and then so, so our second chamber then is this rather shady, undemocratic kind of um, chamber called the House of Lords and the members of the House of Lords are called peers, right? Mm. And I think Mm. there was, was there not some reform of the House of Lords under Labour? Because wasn't it in the past that you could only become a peer in the House of Lords if like your dad was a peer or something? It was like a hereditary thing, was it not? Yes, so that's right. So so there were, there was... There were several types of peer. So a peer is just another word for essentially for someone who sits in the House of Lords. Uh, so we have MPs or members of parliament in the House of Commons, and then we have peers or lords in the House of Lords. Uh, a lord, to be honest, the word lord is a kind of very broad term that can be used for many different types of person. Yeah, it's, I mean, a, yeah. a lord is like an earl or a duke or a member of the, a peer in the House of Lords. Um, you know, all those things can be, those can be lords or, or a, you know, like a, a rich, powerful landowner, um, you know. Uh, but mm. um, so, yeah, there used to be uh, hereditary peers. These are ones, that's when you you inherited your title from your father. That's mad, uh, isn't it? Which is, you know, it's, it's like the royal family. It's the same kind of, same kind of arrangement. But, uh, same principle, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these days our, our our aristocracy is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You could argue to the point where it's only going to be like you know the the nuclear family you know of of the the royal family really. But in the past, it was it was a much larger network that included all these other people, including you know a network of of um, in of, of inheritance, you know, hereditary power, a power that you inherit from uh, your your parents, your father, probably. Um, and so, mm. yeah, the House of Lords, a lot of the people who sat in there uh, making big decisions, who being part of the executive um, and legislative process, had just inherited that power. Um, 
And that, yeah, that has been reformed, and now that's not possible anymore. And instead, the peers, or the, the you know the ones who have the rights to be in the House of Lords until they die, um, they are chosen. They're appointed. They're given their power. So we don't choose those people mm. directly. Instead, the no. government who we have kind of voted into power, they get to choose who the Lords will be. Which is like, what? So what? They, You've they just can eliminated just an them? answer there. Well, isn't there, haven't haven't there been some scandals around that in terms of like money and influence and sort of buying your way into the House of Lords? Well, yeah, the, 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 uh, there's been scandals uh, in the Conservative Party about um, certain Conservative Party members who are Lords in the House of Lords, uh, essentially using their power for personal uh, profit. Um, Yeah, there there have been cases of that. So surprising. A lot of corruption in, so in, in the government uh, at the moment. Um, yeah. So who chooses them, though? Is it the monarch? So in this case, the King Charles. Or is, or is it the speaker? That's the person who is kind of like the moderator of the House of Commons. The one who goes, order, order, and fails to Bangs control. Bangs a gavel every- on the table. Yeah. Or is it the prime minister, uh, at the moment, Rishi Sunak, or is it the shadow cabinet? That means the uh, members of parliament from the opposition party who are not in power. They're known as the shadow cabinet. So is it them who get to choose? Uh, well, what do you think, Cara? What do I think? I don't think it's the monarch. I don't think it's the shadow cabinet. That doesn't really make any sense. I don't think it's the speaker either. Although it that seems slightly more plausible than the others. I would, I would, have, I would suggest the prime minister by process of elimination. Yeah. Oh God, no! It's uh, apparently it life. Peers. Oh my God! What? A, what an undemocratic system! Who the? Who invented this? What? Life peers are appointed what? by the monarch on on the advice of the prime minister. So hey, hold on a minute. Hold on. This is one of those things. This is one of those powers that the king has, which are sort of um, powers. symbolic powers in the same way that yeah. the, the king stamps all new laws which are made. You know, it's yeah, the final part like of the process. The king has to yeah. kind of go yes or no to all the Quick new autograph, laws. Quick autograph, your majesty. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the king, or, or formerly the queen, would always just say yes you know, it's just part of a con- sort of a administrative constitutional uh, thing. Uh, so the okay, so the, uh, uh, the life peers are appointed by the monarch, by the king, but it's actually the prime minister who chooses them. And the prime minister just goes to the Pretty king, much. goes, "So uh, here's the list of uh, the the new life peers that we'd like to appoint. Um, so uh, can you just d- sign that off?" And the king's like, "Oh, you know, you want me to." Uh, uh, just tick these. Where do I? Where do I sign? You know, and so it, it's technically it's um, it's the king who does it, but it's the prime minister. It's or really maybe... the prime minister's decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. However, so for the citizenship test, you must say the monarch for that, and it's a point, not who chooses, but who appoints them. Appoints. Yeah. So it's kind of the yeah, like you say, the final signing off. Um, for me, a point is a bit line. like pointing at the person and going, you, right? But it's the prime minister who's whispering into the king's ear going, uh, yeah, choose uh, Cara Leopold, okay? And the king's like, oh, that, that lady over there, okay. Cho- choose these party donors who gave us... <laughs> yeah, yeah, choose Cara Leopold. She gave us uh, £5 million. Um, 
<laughs> and she was instrumental in she wants uh, to p- in in gaining PPE uh, personal protective equipment contracts, uh, which made us a lot of money. So uh, just you know, choose her. And the king's like, okay, whatever you say, you. And then just points at you. <laughs> so he appoints you. Yeah. Question number 24. Which charity works to preserve important buildings? Which charity, uh, like non-profit organisation, works to preserve important buildings? Old buildings. Yeah, not just any old building, but very much like grand old buildings, you know. Like Downton Abbey. Which is not a real place. Well, I mean... Like, it's not a real place. It is a real place. I mean, it's not called Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of place. It's those sorts of old uh, buildings that would have been owned by earls and dukes and the, you know, the the marquis of whatever, you know. Like there's loads of them all across the country, these amazing country houses that would have been owned by um, members of the aristocracy, but um they have they're essentially um they got bought by uh, a charity. And the charity works to maintain those buildings, keep them in good condition and open them up to the public so the public can come and visit them. It's great. It's a fantastic mm. thing. But do you know which one it is? Yeah, I think, it, I think this is actually a good question and a good thing to know if you're going to live in the UK. Um, yeah. So it's Age UK or it's the Red Cross or it's the National Trust or it's the NSPCC. Right. I know this and it's the National Trust because I've visited many properties with my parents. They are members of the National Trust. And if you're a member, you get into places free. I mean, like you pay for the year kind of thing. And then you can get go anywhere for free. Yeah. The na- same with Castle? my parents. Also, we're members of the National Trust and on holidays and stuff, we used to go and visit National Trust properties. And yeah, if you if you are going to live in the UK or at least spend some time on a holiday there or something like that, then yeah, you should know about the National Trust. And there are some really nice things that you can go and see that are controlled and organised by the National Trust. And it's a kind of a, a good thing, generally a good thing. Yeah. Uh, the Age UK, that's a that's a charity for elderly people. Uh, the Red Cross is just like gen- general sort of medical charity helping those in need. And the NSPCC, the National Society for the Protection of Children. What is it? What does it no, stand for? No, I think for? it might be the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. Right. Mm. Yeah. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. It's a British child protection so. charity. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, so you're going the National Trust. Finish the test. Here are the results, Cara. Your time. It took you one hour and 11 minutes. So that's that's probably <laughs> a bit slow. too long. Uh, but that, that's my bit. You know, you did have me like talking a lot in your ear while you were doing the test. Like, can Luke, can you just shut up? I'm trying to do the, the citizenship <laughs> test. Stop distracting me with your stupid comments. Um, so you are... You answered 20 out of 24 questions correctly. You got 83.3 recurring percent. <laughs> Amazing. Had a little, well done. tiny little bit of help. Tiny clues. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm pretty pleased with that. There you go. That's a pass, isn't it? Yeah. That's a pass. It's a good pass. Yeah. It's a strong Yay. pass. I'd give you a, a, a B plus. Cool. I get let back into the country. Um yeah. Awesome. Not that you actually want to go back to the country. 
But if you want, the option is open. The door is still open door is still for open, you if you yeah. want to go back in. Yeah. So there we go, everybody. I think we really need to wrap this up because I, I know my episodes are long, but I don't, I, you know, I have to try and keep uh, keep them under control to some extent. Um, and so there you are, listeners. I hope you, I hope you kind of learnt a thing or two. Um, Cara, did you, did you learn anything from doing that? Um, I, I did. I learned what the cenotaph is and um, I revised some history of Roman Britain and early Christian Christianity and the Tower of London. So, yeah, it was good. I still don't know what a British overseas territory is, but I know that some of them are tax havens, and so that's why we must still have them. And I'm really shocked that the House of Lords is still as undemocratic as ever. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, there it is. There you go, listeners. A snapshot of of Britain, Britain, British history, British life. This corrupt British... country. <laughs> yeah, with its, its daffodils and leeks. It's like, yeah, it's a bit corrupt. But just don't mention that. Just like, kind of sweep that under the carpet. Look, nice castles. <laughs> um, Cara, thank you very much for your contribution. Remind us again where where people can go to kind of get uh, some lessons and help from you about you know uh, improving their English with films and TV series. Yeah, so they can go to, um, you mentioned leo-listening.com. That's my website. Um, you can download a guide there called Understand Movies in English, which hopefully mm-hmm. helps you to do that. And then people can also follow me on LinkedIn. I started a weird thing last year. I started posting on LinkedIn regularly, and it's actually been quite good. I used to think LinkedIn was the worst place ever, but it's actually quite um Quite nice posting on there. So if you like search for Cara Leopold, I think I'm probably the only one. So you'll find me. And yeah, okay. those are the best places. Fantastic. Good. Hang out with me. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much again. I hope that you can survive the cold weather that is coming um, and that you don't just <laughs> freeze. Let you just be a block of ice. No, you'll be all right. It's for, you're from Scotland. I think I'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Used to it. <laughs> okay, right. Have a nice, uh, have a nice rest of the afternoon, and see you soon. Thanks. You too. See you soon. Okay. Cheers. So that was Cara Leopold there from Leo-Listening.com, successfully completing a British citizenship test. Thank you to Cara for contributing to the episode today. Again, you can find her at leo-listening.com. Did you get it? leo-listening.com. Okay. Successfully passing the test. As if there was any doubt. But she didn't get every single question right, but that's okay, right? Because it's not a question of 100% or nothing. Um, She did enough to be given British citizenship, even though she's already got it. But what about you? How did you get on? How did you do on the test? Because, of course, you were counting your scores, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, right. No, I know. I don't. I know you weren't. That's okay. You weren't expected to. I don't know. Maybe there's someone out there, so a very diligent person who did this properly and uh, noted their scores and their answers down. Maybe that's you. If that's the case, then... If that's the case, then... You know, a little round of applause there for being so diligent and doing things uh, properly. But if, um, you know, if, if you just listened and didn't worry about actually recording your score, that's totally fine, of course. All right. Don't worry. You're not going to be um, 
what's the word for it, sort of uh, uh, punished. You, you know, you can still listen to the show even if you didn't pass the test or record your answers or anything. But anyway, I wonder how you got on with that test. I wonder what you got right and wrong. Did you know any of the answers? I mean, some of those questions were fairly easy. For example, which country, which of these countries is in the UK? Uh, which of these uh, places, which of these countries? Wales, Hawaii, um, and some of the other options, which were a bit ridiculous. Um, but uh, I wonder which things you got right. I mean, some of those things, which I assume would be easy, actually are a lot of people don't know that stuff. I mean, I remember from my experiences of teaching students of English who'd come to the UK and even pretty simple things they didn't know. For example, sometimes, maybe it was a bit unfair of me, but I would test them and I'd say, OK, can you draw a map? Just draw a map of the UK. In, in lessons, kind of cultural lessons, sometimes we'd have lessons at school which were about British life and culture and stuff. And one of the things I would do in those lessons is I would say to everyone, OK, just draw a map of the UK, just a general map. See if you can just draw it and then we'll compare and then I'll, you know, explain certain key information to you. Now, these were students who'd come from all over the world, all sorts of different countries. And some of the maps that they came up with uh, were pretty funny because they were it just showed that they had absolutely no idea. That's actually quite a difficult thing, of course, to draw a map of a country. But normally, you know the general kind of shape. And I would say, OK, put put a dot for London. And I want you to put two more dots for at least two more major cities in the country. And some of those maps were just like it looked like a, a fried egg <laughs> with London in the middle and then just a blob around it. So a lot of people don't really know anything, um, which, you know, it's all right. They don't have to if they're just going to London to study English for a few weeks. They don't have to know absolutely everything. But still, knowledge is power, right? So anyway, obviously, there's a scale of knowledge of what people might know about the UK. I wonder where you are on the scale. How many of those questions did you did you know? Um, but it's interesting, that test, because that's all the sort of stuff that you're expected to know in order to um, qualify for citizenship. Obviously, citizenship, the, the process of getting citizenship is a complicated process and there'll be different criteria for different people. But, um, you know, um, it's interesting that the life in the UK test includes that kind of stuff. In fact, there is a whole handbook for the life in the UK, UK test. You can buy that in bookshops and in supermarkets and stuff. And it contains chapters about all the different things that might come up in the test. It's quite an interesting book. You can learn quite a lot about the country from reading that. Uh, but anyway, what do you think about the topics that came up and the information that you need to know? There was stuff about history, stuff about sort of constitute the constitutional makeup, the politics of the country, the way the country is governed and the relationship between the you know the royal family and the um the parliament and stuff like that um geographical things um what do you think about all that stuff and if you could define that test what would you put in it and if you live in the UK and you're listening to this and I do have 
quite a lot of people living in the UK or people who are uh, are visiting the UK or people who are studying in the UK or people who've moved to the UK from another country. So if you are living in the UK, what do you think should be included? Like based on your experiences of living in Britain, what stuff do you think should be in the test? What do you really need to know in order to integrate and to be able to live in the country and to feel that you're not totally alienated while living there and so that you can contribute to life in Britain in a positive and constructive way, or at least that you can survive living in the UK without feeling completely out of place, like a fish out of water? What do you think you really need to know? Here are some suggestions from me things that they could include in the Life in the UK test. For example, how to make a decent cup of tea, or at least how British people make tea, because that can be quite a complicated process. And you've got to know that's a, you, you know, you've got to be able to respect the process of tea making, because it is done on a daily basis at any time of the day, morning, afternoon, evening, night, is any time is a good time for a cup of tea. But we've got our own particular ways of doing it as you may know, uh, but how to make a decent cup of tea, how to order drinks in a pub, how to deal with English humour, what it is, what it sounds like, what it smells like, how to identify it when it's close, when it's close by. And by the way, it's all, you're always nearby English humour. How, how to do it, what is it? And, and how to get it wrong, how to avoid getting it wrong. How to deal with things like English accents, different English accents and, and what they sound like and where they come from. How to avoid offending British people by accident and on purpose. I mean, you shouldn't be doing it on purpose anyway, but um, what happens if you're offending British people by accident? You might not even realise you're doing it because British people can be quite indirect. They might not instantly point out that you're offending them. They might just, ha ha ha, ah, I see, and then leave you alone. And you, huh, what happened? Maybe you offended them by accident. Um, how to learn about cultural differences in different parts of the country. Maybe they should include details of like famous British public figures that everyone knows, like comedians or actors or musicians or writers or, or other famous people that everyone knows. And um, you need to know how most people feel about those people. Um, what about public holidays? What are those public holidays for? Bank holidays. And what do people tend to do on those holidays? Well, if it's in the summer, they will probably plan to have a barbecue and then cancel the barbecue. But it doesn't matter because it's just a good chance to, to just drink some beer anyway. Um, yeah, why would they cancel the barbecue? Well, because of rain, probably. Um, the importance of queuing and other seemingly small details that are actually hugely important. And how to deal with that situation when you go into a toilet or a bathroom in England and there are two separate taps on the bathroom sink. Two separate taps, a hot one and a cold one. And you need to know how to avoid scalding your hands with the hot water that seems to come directly from the boiling pits of hell. I nearly ran out of air while saying that sentence. But how do you know how to deal with the hot tap which produces water that is piped directly from the boiling pits at the centre of hell. It's that hot. And how to deal with the, the cold tap, which produces freezing cold water that comes straight from the North Pole, it seems. 
Huh? How do you deal with that? So maybe those are things that should be included in the life in the UK test. I don't know, but I suppose it depends on lots of factors. But certainly I've always tried to help out with those things that I've just mentioned over the years on this podcast. And I will continue to do so in my episodes. This is my mission. Uh, One of my missions anyway. But let me know anyway what you think might be useful info for the Life in the UK test. And if you're going to take the Life in the UK test and you want to find that website that I used in this episode where there are various practice tests for it, then check out lifeintheuktests.co.uk and the link is in the description. I am not sponsored by them or anything like that, but that might be useful for you. Um, Here at the very end of the episode, after how long getting on for two hours, at least an hour and 45 minutes, here at this point, this late point, this is when I'm choosing to um, say hello to premium listeners. Um, is this a good idea to do an announcement at this stage? Probably not. There are only, only a few skeletons with headphones are still listening. <laughs> but anyway, premium listeners, hello. Just a quick reminder of what's going on with the premium episodes, okay? P43 and P44 are the most recent ones that have been published. Uh, Just in case you haven't noticed, uh, P43 is a ramble from me uploaded last month. And I rambled about things like seasonal affective disorder, seasonal affective disorder, um, which is um, something that affects people during the winter months when it's dark and grey and you don't get enough sunlight and it kind of makes you feel a bit depressed. Uh, So I talked about seasonal affective disorder and I described how our moods, or maybe just my moods, change at different times in the year. And that was a ramble with a sort of vocabulary test in the PDF. And then the week before last, I uploaded P44, as well. And that is a story time episode. In P44, I told a story, a true story about a time when I got into trouble as a child, specifically when a couple of friends and I crept into a neighbor's garden and ended up having the shock of our lives. Okay, that was P44. And as usual, that had vocabulary explanations, a vocab list, and exercises for vocabulary, verb forms, and prepositions, plus the usual pronunciation practice where you can repeat the story after me with all the right rhythm and intonation. So that's P43 and P44, both available and uploaded recently for premium subscribers. And coming soon, in just a few days, will be P45, another story time episode with another story about how I got into trouble, kind of, Another story from my childhood. Um, Another story of how I got into trouble as a child. Again, um, and again, involving a neighbour's garden and a particular skill which I didn't even realise I had. So if you're curious about that and you're keen to flex those English muscles of yours and get to grips with the accompanying language exercises and pronunciation drills, just hold on because that episode will also be with you in just a matter of days. So that's P45 coming soon for premium subscribers. If you want to sign up to LEP Premium, as you well know, uh, it is available at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. So if you're interested in signing up, don't let me stop you. I mean, I know I'm not trying to stop you, but anyway, don't... Anyway, you can sign up if you like and get started. And when you sign up, you can then add all the premium episodes to your podcast app of choice. 
You can just you basically get a new list, a new subscription to Luke's English Podcast in your podcast app on your phone and also on your web browser on your computer too. Um, and then you can listen to the episodes and get the PDF links and video links too. Many episodes have video versions. And also you'll get all the normal free episodes but with the ads removed, those automatic ads that you get sometimes and those little little bits at the beginning where I say, you know, Luke's English podcast, blah, blah, blah. I use my particular set of skills in my premium episodes. That is removed as well. And any ads that get inserted, they get removed if you are a premium subscriber. OK, so there you go. The premium subscription, listeners, is basically how I can keep doing this without having a boss. It lets me decide how to make my own content on my own terms, in my own way, without having to answer to someone else or to get told what to do by a boss. And that means a great deal to me. And it makes it possible for me to provide you with the kind of content that I want to make. And it also means that subscribers can get the benefit of my teaching skills and I can keep the price affordable so it doesn't exclude too many people. You can pretty much get all the information you need about the premium content at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. All right, so that's it. That's the end of this. Good luck out there, everyone. Keep your chin up. Be excellent to each other. Happy Valentine's Day for yesterday, because I'm recording this on the 15th. Happy Valentine's Day for yesterday, in, unless you don't celebrate Valentine's Day, in which case, you know, fine, totally fine for you, because Valentine's Day can kind of be rubbish if you are single right? And you you sit there thinking, oh, everyone else is in love and I'm, I'm never going to find anyone to be with. Not true, okay? Not true, okay? You never know. Keep smiling because you never know who might be falling in love with you right now. And even if you don't want to have a partner, if you don't want to have to do that, don't worry about it. Be you. Just be you. Just do you for a while, okay? In any way that you want, um, but anyway, I'll say happy Valentine's Day for yesterday anyway. And if you're if you're listening to this uh, not in February, if you're listening to this at another time, then just happy other significant day in the year, which is near to you in time right now. And that includes your birthday, which I guess is no more than about 182 days away and probably closer than that, either in the past or in the future. Right. Uh huh. So you you probably your birthday was not too far away in the past, at, at no more than 182 days away, or not too far away in the future, no no more than 182 days away in the future. So happy birthday, because that's that's close enough for me. Okay, so happy birthday to you, even though it's probably not your birthday today, but it it it, it won't be it won't be that long. Okay, uh, until it happens, and it wasn't that long ago that it happened. So you know, let's you know, give it, give or take a few days, weeks, or months. I don't care. That counts for me as being your birthday or near enough. So happy birthday to you, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode, which I recorded and published for you specifically today, just to wish you all the very best for your birthday and many happy returns. Okay special day just for you. I hope at least one smile passed across your lips over the last 90 minutes or so while listening to this, because as well as helping you with your English, I do aim to help you with your face 
as well. And we know that a smile on your face is one of the most attractive features that a human can have on their body. And when you smile, the world smiles too and all that kind of thing. So happy birthday and have a lovely rest of the day, okay? Right. Thanks for listening. And, um, you know, do consider helping people who really need your help right now because there is certainly a lot of that going around. I mean, needing people's help, I mean. So consider helping people out. Uh, but I won't bang on about that um, anymore. Uh, or should I? Or shouldn't I? Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. But anyway, that's enough from me. Until next time, now I will just say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.